Well, if you open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, and you might want to hold that page. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 22 to 33. And we're going to be talking about uh, the godly marriage, a godly marriage. And um, uh, so hold that page, but then also open up to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We've got a few verses to read before we actually get into our, our primary text today. And uh, so as you turn there, we'll go to the Lord in prayer one more time that he anoints the, uh, the preaching of the word. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I, I thank you so much, Lord, that there is, there is a remnant in a world gone mad, in a world gone insane, that there are still people, your people, who are hungry for your word and your truth. And so I thank you, Lord, that the people that are here today and in other Bible-believing churches throughout America and throughout the world, I thank you, Lord, that there are people hungry for your word. And I, I pray that you bless them. They took time out of their busy schedules to hear the word of God, the wisdom of God preached, not the faulty wisdom of man. If we want the faulty wisdom of man, we can get it on social media. We can get it on television. We can get it just, just talking to our neighbors. But if we want your wisdom and your truth, rather than accepting the lies of this world, if we want your truth, we need to go to your word. And so I pray, Lord, <clears throat> that it would be your truth that would be proclaimed from this pulpit. That you would cancel the man and anoint me with your spirit and empower me to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. Give us all, Lord, courage to test what we hear from this pulpit and what we hear from our government and businesses and schools, whatever it may be, that we would test all things with your word and hold fast to that which is true. I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds to understand and accept your truth and that uh, you would empower us to apply these truths today in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of our King, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I do. I do. Two small little words. I'm pretty good at math. You add them up, I think it's just three letters there. Two words, three letters. That's pretty small. I do. Yet, they're probably the most important words that we're going to say in our lives. Now, the most important time that you say I do is when you say I do to Jesus. And when you say, you know, Lord, um, I'm getting tired of this world. I'm getting tired of myself and my sin. I'm getting tired of lies. And I want to come to you and your truth. I commit my life to you. I covenant with you. I do. And you become part of the bride of Christ. The second most important time you say I do is when if you're a guy, you, you find this gal and you're like, you know what? I don't want to spend my life without this gal. And if she agrees with you and... Uh, uh, 
you eventually say I do to each other. And you get married. And we're going to talk about that second most important I do today. Okay? And, um, you know, we make the decision. When we say I do to Jesus, it's a one-time, once-for-all decision. But we've got to kind of reconfirm that every day for the rest of our lives. Amen. And that's not always easy because some, if you're like me, sometimes you wake up in the morning, you don't feel like you're saved. You don't feel like a, a Christian. You don't feel like the follower of the king. Okay? But you, you, you remain faithful and you persevere. And it's the same with marriage. You say, I do, at the wedding, but then for the rest of your life, each and every day, you're recommitting your life to your bride. For better, for worse. For richer, for poor. Sickness and in health. And um, so we want to talk about the biblical view of marriage today. That's what the passage in Ephesians chapter 5 talks about. In verses 22 to 33. We're going to look at some other verses. Now I want to just mention that divorce is just skyrocketing in this country. I think for decades it's been about 50%. Like one out of every two marriages ends in divorce. And um, I actually was pretty devastated as a new believer when I found out that divorce in the church, the divorce rate in the church is just as high. And I thought, where's the power of the Holy Spirit there? When one out of every two marriages ends in divorce in the church as well as outside the church. But then when I did some further research and I found out, however, if the couple goes to church at least three times a month, that percentage drops. If they pray daily, it drops. Um, if, uh, uh, if they live by biblical morality, it drops. And you add four or five factors that should be true of all true believers, and the divorce rate gets really, really close to zero percent. Okay? So uh, just keep in mind, in America, everybody and their mother's brother calls himself a Christian. Okay, we need to, need to be a little bit more like James. Don't tell me you believe, show me you believe. If you're a follower of Jesus, you ought to act like Jesus. Not only do we have a lot of Christian lay people, professing Christian lay people that don't act like Jesus, we got a lot of pastors now that not only don't act like Jesus, they don't even agree with Jesus. So, uh, so, so just basically... If, if you remain faithful to the Lord and persevere through the power of the Holy Spirit and you find a spouse who's doing the same, okay? You know, when you enter into marriage, you should say, look, divorce isn't going to happen. We're going into a covenant for life. By the grace of God, by the power of God, he gets all the glory. We're going to be faithful to each other. Then you persevere and you deal with all the other issues, all the little issues. You work through them. But you've taken like the divorce option off the table and you're faithful uh, to one another. But we see in this country adultery. Um, I remember some 80-year-old married guy owned a basketball team. I'm not a big basketball fan, so. Um, uh, but this guy was in his 80s and um, uh, he was married. He owned a basketball team. 
But his girlfriend uh, was a young African-American uh, lady, and he was getting upset with her because she was flirting, in his estimation, with some of the basketball players, who were probably a lot better looking and a lot better built than this 80-something-year-old guy, okay? So, um, but whatever the case, she decided to tape one of his tirades, and he was using all kinds of racial slurs, and that's, that's horrible. There's no place for racial slurs. At the same time, isn't it interesting that in America in the 21st century, you can lose your own basketball team for saying bad words? Nobody cared that he was committing adultery on his wife. I guess he just got a free pass on that. Okay? Now, I grew up, you know, my, my dad was a World War II vet, born to Portuguese immigrants, um, lived, grew up during the Depression, and so he told me, sticks and stones uh, may break your bones, but names shall never hurt you. So he's basically saying, when people make fun of you, let it go in one ear, not the other. Just turn the other cheek and just move on. Now, if you've got to defend yourself, you've got to defend yourself. Well, we're living in a day and age, you're probably going to get in less trouble if you're beating up people and burning down buildings for neo-Marxist causes, you'll get in less trouble for that. Probably won't even hurt your career than you will if you say bad words. You say something that's been deemed to be a bad word. And uh, so today, adultery is really not considered that bad in our culture. You know, Paul said, let, every, let uh, God be true and every man a liar. Homosexuality is now accepted. So now you can have a male and a female, and we are thinking have a quote-unquote legal marriage. And, um, uh, and since sexual immorality, sex without commitment is a very popular trend. A lot of churches, it's very common for the young people to engage in premarital sex. You know, if the pastor finds out about that, they better deal with that. There's got to be church discipline. You know, um, if... Um, you know, I actually counseled a young guy early on in my years as pastor where the guy explained his living with a woman. He was professing to be a Christian. And he said, well, if I'm going to buy um, a, a car, I want to try it out first. And I got so angry with that guy. And I told him that's because a car is a thing. But a lady was created in the image of God. Okay? You don't treat a lady like an object. God says you make that lifelong commitment first. And then comes the sexual union. But we see the exact opposite in our culture today. And so I want to look first at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. So we're going to talk about the godly marriage. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Now, this is talking about what the senior pastor, some translations read an overseer or um, uh, the bishop, <clears throat> the senior pastor has to have certain qualifications. 
it doesn't make, you know, if you're, if you're a young guy and you say, say, well, you know, I think I want to be a preacher, but I want to be sexually promiscuous, so I just won't become a preacher, and then, I'm, and then it's okay for me to be sexually promiscuous. No! See, the pastor is not a super Christian. The pastor is just supposed to be an obedient Christian who sets the example for his flock. So the pastor is not supposed to be a hypocrite. He's supposed to practice what he preaches and set the example. So when Paul says that the pastor is supposed to be husband of only one wife, he's not supposed to be a polygamist, okay? Um, he's not saying, but it's okay for the rest of the Christians in the church to do that. No, the pastor's got to set the example of, uh, of what being a mature Christian is. And what does he say in verses 4 and 5 that... The pastor, now I think we would all agree that the pastor, we wouldn't come to church if we didn't agree on this, that the pastor is a pretty important ministry. Okay? That's a pretty important ministry. But it's not the most important one. Because Paul says this, the pastor, the overseer, has to be, verse 4, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? What that is telling us is that even if you're a pastor, your number one ministry is your household, your family. Okay? So, you know, there, there are times, I love everybody here, but there are times when I have to say no. When... Somebody just hey you know let's go out let's go out for lunch or let's do this or blah 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 and and, and the fact of the matter is you know pastors is this is this is almost normal for the church for pastors to preach from the pulpit husbands spend quality time with your family when everybody knows the pastor's not spending quality time with his family because he doesn't have the time. So he's helping everybody else have strong families. In the meantime, his family's going down the tubes. So there are times when Pastor Phil or Pastor John or Willis or Pat or Chris, well, Chris isn't married yet, so you know some single Christian ladies out there. Um, and in fact, we were talking with him about grooming last week, right? I mean, he's got a haircut, so, uh, but whatever the case, you know, there are times when we're going to say no. I can't do it. And you're going to think, how can that guy call himself a man of God? Let me tell you, if we said yes all the time to everybody outside of our, the four walls of our home, we wouldn't be men of God. Amen. Okay? Um, uh, there, are some, there are sometimes speaking engagements, big speaking engagements, sometimes even a big paycheck. And I say no, because it would not be best for my family. Um, <clears throat> In fact, I chose between, should I be a full-time speaker or should I pastor a local church and stay pastoring a local church? And, uh, and I realized that I did not want my wife to view my ministry as the other woman. So I'm one of the few like apologetic speakers that wherever I go, I bring my wife with me. And so when there was a few years her health wasn't good, I didn't take any talks out of state. And I could have been more popular had I done that. But the, the, your family is your number one ministry. Okay? 
I knew a guy who used to preach on the streets of Seattle with a wooden cross. But he just he gave up his construction company and he had himself and his wife and about six to eight kids living on welfare. And the old Bremerton son did a, uh, an article on him and uh, he said that he ended the article by saying the Lord will provide. And I told my wife, I said, no, it's not the Lord will provide, it's the taxpayers will provide. You know? And so you got to, if you can't take care of your own household, what business do you have serving others outside it, you know? <clears throat> we all want to turn the other cheek, especially when we're being threatened by a 280-pound guy with six-pack abs. That's real easy. To, you probably know heavenly rewards for turning the other cheek there. You're just being smart. But then we go home to our wife, and we can't turn the other cheek. We always got to be right. Your family's got to be your number one ministry. Look at 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. Paul says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Okay? So you've got to provide for your family. Your family is your number one ministry. Okay, if your ministry gets in the way of your family, then you need to either cut back on your ministry or find a different ministry, but your family has got to be your number one ministry. Now, what did Jesus say about marriage? Before we get to Ephesians, we'll look at Matthew 19, verses 3 to 6. Matthew 19. Verses 3 to 6. Now, the, the Pharisees are asking him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And that's because there are two schools of thought among the Pharisees, the school of Hillel, school of Shammai. One was very conservative. One was more liberal. One said you could divorce your wife for any reason. The other said, no, you could only divorce your wife if she was unfaithful to you. And there's a big debate. And they try to get, they always, whenever they question Jesus, they tried to divide his following whether it's the school of Hillel or the Pharisaical school of Shammai, or maybe get him, divide him between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the you know, rabbis and the temple priests, or get him to divide between the Romans and the, the Jewish zealots. They always try to divide him. But this is what Jesus said. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? <clears throat> now that's not politically correct. Okay? But that's what the Bible says. So you can have your political correctness. I got my Bible, the 66 books that God guided human authors to record without error. Okay? At the beginning, God made them what? Male and female. <clears throat> and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two, not the eight or nine, sorry, Joseph Smith, founder of the Mormons, sorry, Muhammad, founder of Islam. It's one man and one woman for one lifetime. Leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And so basically, the biblical ideal for marriage is a male and a female. Same-sex marriage is not marriage in the eyes of our Lord. Amen. Okay? Now, if two guys down, I don't know how, if two guys down the block from me want to have a bogus wedding performed by a bogus minister to get a bogus certificate put on the wall and they want to wear bogus wedding rings, I don't know how I could stop it. To be honest, I don't even think it's any of my business. Okay? But the government could put a, a gun to my head and say, you have to start performing those and blessing those quote-unquote marriages. Let God be true and every man a liar. Okay? I'm telling you, it, it has been so easy to side with Jesus and to side with the Bible in America throughout the generations. Not anymore. You side with Jesus, you got a target on your back. You side with Jesus, you're one of them. And they got all kinds of bad names for you. Um, and, uh, but the two, a male and a female, and the two, so it's not polygamy, the two become one flesh, and it's a lifelong commitment. So the biblical ideal for marriage is one man and one woman for one lifetime. Okay? Now you might be sitting out there and say, oh no. You know, Pastor Phil, I'm on wife number two or whatever and this and that. Hey look, the biblical ideal, God hates divorce. The biblical ideal, one man, one woman for one lifetime. Divorce involves sin. There, I think there might be an innocent party if you're Spouse ups and leaves you for somebody else and you tried to make it work. Uh, but there's always some kind of sin involved in divorce. Okay? No such thing as no-fault divorce in the Word of God. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, last I heard, my king came to forgive sins. Okay? So your past behavior... God's not even concerned with your past behavior so long as it no longer impacts your present character. Okay? So, you know, you could, I'm, I'm telling you, you could, you can come up here and tell me all the, all the trash you were involved with before you got saved. And I might even be able to one-up you with all the stupid, sinful things I did. I don't know. Some of you might have been more horrible sinners than me. I don't know. Um, you know, that's why I, I kind of don't like giving my testimony when I speak in prisons. Because usually, <laughs> usually I wasn't as, as quote-unquote bad as some of those guys. Sometimes, sometimes we were as bad as the guys in prison. We just never got caught. But, um, but with everything said and done, last I heard, my God became a man. Dying on the cross for our sins. Okay? And so the biblical ideal is one man and one woman for one lifetime. If you messed up in the past, and every one of us in some way, shape, or form has messed up in the past, 
Will you make this marriage that you have, you make that last through the power of God. Okay? And, um, but I will never do a wedding where the bride and the groom want to have some kind of conditional vows. It's either till death do us part or homie don't do that. I don't go there. Okay? You can go get somebody else. Go get, go get some new age preacher. You know? And, uh, but, uh, so, but biblical marriage, one man and one woman for one lifetime. So now we go, come back to Ephesians chapter 5. First, there's instruction to wives. Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. Paul says this, wives, this is really politically incorrect. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Okay? So the wives are commanded. It's not a suggestion. They are commanded to submit to their husbands. Okay? As to the Lord. So in other words, whenever two or more people come together... If there's going to be unity, somebody's got to be in charge. And God said, don't ask me why. Well, he explains why in, uh, I think it's 2 Timothy, man was created first, then Eve was created second. Adam wasn't deceived. Eve was deceived. Um, Adam, the reason why he felt he had to choose between his, his woman and his God. He chose his woman. Okay? And... Um, but whatever the case, God appointed man to be the head. I, I have to, my wife and I have, have counseled couples where the lady was grounded in the word and spiritually mature and the husband was a bag of worms. <clears throat> and you know, I, I, even tell, I would even tell them, if it were me and my fallible wisdom making the decision, I'd say let her be in charge. You know, I, I tell the guy, I say, I say, dude, you're a bag of worms. But the fact of the matter is, I got to preach the word of God. Okay? So that's a very hard, hard message to, you know, I never counsel ladies alone. My wife will counsel the lady with me, or we'll send them to John and Kim. And, and um, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, it is very difficult to encourage a lady to submit to a husband who's a loser. But that's what the Bible says. Okay? Now keep in mind, our submission to government, a wife's submission to her husband, is not as high as our submission to God. So when the government says, stop preaching Jesus, we got to say with the apostles, we must obey God rather than men. You know, Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. You know, give, give me that coin. Whose image is on that coin? Caesar's? Then you give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but to God what is God's. Tertullian, church father, 221 AD, he said, but man, our bodies, we were created in God's image. So, yeah, we pay our taxes to Caesar, but we belong to God. 
And so when the government tries to play God, I call that the deification of the state. We have to tell the government we must obey God rather than men. Uh, ladies, if your husband says, look, our neighbor's dogs bark too loud or he plays his music too loud, I want you to go next door and, and shoot him. No, you don't have to. You don't have to submit to that. It's like, well, wait a second. I, think, I seem to think the Bible says thou shalt not kill. Um, okay? So but keep, keep in mind. However, if you marry, ladies, if you marry to till it a hun, I didn't tell you to marry him. Okay? I, mean, I really think, ladies might disagree with me, I really think encouraging a lady to submit uh, to her husband is not difficult counsel if it's before the wedding. When she can still get out. It's like, you know, when we, when we counsel couples, like, look, if this guy is not the kind of leader, why, you know, why would you marry Attila the Hun? You know? Um, if he doesn't lead the way you like to be led and doesn't want to lead you, if, if he's going to lead you in the same direction you already want to go, and he's a gentle leader, the issue of who's in charge doesn't even come up. Okay? Um, now, after you say I do, you know, I'm looking at the guy. If he's a bag of worms, I'm like, ugh. You know, but I, I just say, look, you, you submit to God, and then your submission to your husband is less than that. But if he's not asking you to violate God's commands, you submit to him. And I, I've had a lot of ladies tell me, only, I'll only submit to my husband if he's being godlike. Peter says that if you submit to your non-believing husband, so he can't be godlike, that might lead him to the Lord. So, um, all I'm saying, ladies, make sure you pick, make sure you pick a, a godly man who has the leadership style that doesn't offend you and he wants to lead you in a direction you already want to go. Then you won't even have to worry about it. Okay? And, um, but... Um, and so it's, it's kind of like with somebody in charge, it's kind of like the word submit is not as strong as the word obey. Uh, next week, we're going to see the, the children um, are commanded to obey. Well, obedience is kind of like a private obeying the order from a four-star general. Submission is like a three-star general submitting to a four-star general. They can disagree on something. They might even argue about something. But once the four-star general has made that decision, unless it's something asking you to disobey God, you submit um, uh, on that issue. And, um, and, and you know, and that's, not, <clears throat> that's not easy. I've had some ladies where we've counseled, and they, they would say that they only, they only want... They're getting upset with their husband. And they said, I, I only want um, him to hear my view. But then a lot of those ladies, after the husband hears their view, considers it and says no, they, they're still mad. So it's not like I just want him to hear my view. It's like, no, no, you don't want to submit. Now, I will say this. Um, I'm very, very impressed by what I see in this church. Uh, but I have seen a lot of Christian ladies who just plain do not submit to their husbands. 
Okay? I would say most Christian ladies that I know do submit to their husbands. And ladies, don't feel like I'm slamming you. Because a little bit later we're going to see that husbands are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church. I have never met a Christian man who loves his wife as much as Jesus loves the church. So ladies, I commend you. Some of you are doing a really good job. Guys, <laughs> just keep trying. Just keep trying. But until uh, we see Jesus face to face, um, you know, uh, we're not definitely not A-plus students in that, in that category. And, um, but, uh, but whatever the case, um, again, it's much easier to counsel a lady on submission before the lady gets married. Once she gets married, it's just like, and, and, and ladies, if there's single ladies out, out there, don't be attracted to the bad guys. I'm going to marry the bad guy, and I'll change him. Okay? No, you're going to marry the bad guy, and you're probably going to be miserable. <laughs> okay? And uh, so you find a guy that God's already changed. And, um, but, um, um, and then, so you're, the lady, the wife is to consider the husband the head of the family, just as Christ is the head of the church. And he's the savior, um, of the church. So, just as the church submits to Christ's leadership, the wives should submit to their husband's leadership. Again, the submission to the Lord comes first. Okay? So, um... If um, if the husband said, you know, I don't like you listening to country music. I don't want you to listen to country music. I think you probably shouldn't listen to country music. But if the husband says, don't go to church, don't worship your God, this and that, then uh, I try to find a way to see if you could sneak out to worship or at least watch sermons online or something, but you got to worship God. You were created to worship God, okay? And so, uh, difficult advice. This is considered male chauvinism by the world. Um, we are equal in God's eyes, male and female, but there's different roles, okay? Sometimes I don't, sometimes I don't understand why God says what he says, but if he says it and he said it clear, let God be true and every man be found a liar. And so wives submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Now instructions for the, the husband, verses 25 to 30, Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Man, it, that's an impossible goal to reach. So all we could do is strive for that. Husbands, I'm hoping that I love my wife closer to the way Christ loved the church. I'm hoping that I, I love her closer to that. I'm closer to that goal uh, than I was uh, 37 years ago when we got married. Okay? But I do know. I have to humbly say I'm never going to reach that goal. But husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, set her apart for God's purposes, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, 
that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. That's where Adam said, uh, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones, because Eve was taken from his side. And so we are to love our wives. By the way, I don't know how you could love your wife without daily expressing love for your wife. And guys, we've got to be clear on this too. Ladies and men don't communicate the same way. Ladies will send messages to us that other ladies would get right away. Okay? Um, guys just don't get it. I remember my wife blew up at me. Uh, I was a rookie husband, and she blew up at me because I, after taking a shower, I left a wet towel on the bed. And so I'm talking to my buddies, my Christian buddies, and I said, I can't believe this. Uh, you know, my wife is, she's supposed to be a godly lady, and she, she, she basically hasn't talked to me for two weeks because I left. She blew up because I left uh, a dirty towel, I mean, a, a wet towel on the bed. And, um, and he's like, well, you must have done something else. No, I didn't do anything else. And they're like, wow, man, that's really, that's really something. Well, now I'm more experienced. Now I know that look that my wife was giving me three days before I left that wet towel on the bed should have told me there's something she's upset about, something I did, and she hasn't told me, and I need to read that nonverbal communication. Now, it's going to come out. It might be a wet towel on the bed. It might be something else. But eventually, she's going to blow up, but it's not really because of the towel. The towel is the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, but I had tons of boxes on top of the camel before that. And, um, and so that's, you know, I think, I think a guy begins to understand woman when he reaches a point where he recognizes, you know what, I'll never fully understand my bride. And that's okay. You don't have to understand totally. You just got to love, guys. You got to love your bride. You guys, I, I don't understand why, why that would tick her off. I thought it was a funny joke. The guys laughed. All the ladies gave me that look. But, you know, it's just like, you don't have to understand. You just got to learn how to love, okay? And you learn how to love, and eventually you'll start understanding more and more. But, you know, the only one who fully understands your, your wife, guys, it's the Lord, okay? And, um, but um, we pray for wisdom, but... You know, and the thing is, you know, early in our marriage, my wife would, my wife would say, how do I know that you love me? Because I used to tell her I love her. I still do to this day. And um, I think guys got to stop being so embarrassed and stop trying to please the guys and prove you're a tough guy. I remember I worked in law enforcement back in the days when phones were hooked to cords on a wall. 
And uh, I was in law enforcement during shift change, and I, I told my wife, I said, okay, I love you, honey. God bless you, bye. And then uh, Officer Simpson was there with his, you could smoke indoors back then, and his cup of coffee and cigarette. and said, I love you, honey. I love you, honey. And all the guys were laughing at me. And, okay, yeah, I should have turned the other cheek there, so maybe I should go with the holes. But I, I, I looked at him, I said, wait. I said, I said, wait a minute, you got, you got a problem with a man loving his wife? And he said, what? I said, I said, I said you got a problem with a man loving his wife. And, um, and he said, well, no. And I said, good. I didn't think so. And I just walked away. But I was not ashamed to tell my wife in public I love her. Okay? I'm telling you, if you're ashamed to tell your wife in public that you love her, I wouldn't be surprised if you're ashamed to go in public and tell people you love Jesus. Don't ne never apologize for being obedient to the Lord. But, but you know, my wife used to ask me, "How do I know that you love me?" And I said, "Look, honey, I left my people, the Portuguese and Italians, Essex County, New Jersey, three thousand miles away. I left them all for you. When I got in Rico, I could have gone back home." But I left them all for you. And I, I adopted your daughter. And uh, now she's my daughter. We're a family. And I work at a job that I don't even like. Until in law enforcement. Until, until I get the training to be a minister someday. And, and, you know, I could actually add up dollars and cents to show how much I, I love her. And then she would look at that and she'd say, yeah, but how do I know that you love me? Okay, what you got to understand is guys will do the math. This proves that I love you. That's not going to work with the missus. Okay, now by the way, my wife doesn't like flowers. I found out she doesn't like flowers. So for some of you guys, you need to get flowers for your, for your wife. Uh, if your wife doesn't like flowers, it's got to be something else. But, but you got to let her know you love her. You got to do the thing. Show respect for your wife. Okay, and... Um, and you think, why? Well, I, I just don't have patience. Well, does Jesus have patience for his bride, the church? Yes, because he loves the church. Well, we're commanded to love our wives as Christ loves the church. And so you have to love our wives, but, but express that love for them in a way that they'll understand. This is not easy, guys. This is not easy. I knew a, a Christian psychologist who had a radio show, a very godly man, but I think he bombed in his advice one day because he was a, he was a psychologist. He counseled people, and um, his son called up and was having a bad day. And so he got on the intercom, and he told his secretary, cancel all my counseling appointments today. I'm going to go fishing with my son. Okay? Now, that sounds real holy, doesn't it? Um, then, um, what was the other thing he talked about? Oh, he gave an illustration once about this, this uh, really rotten husband. Never shows affection towards his wife. Doesn't romance his wife. Works 14 hours a day, six days a week. And he's calling the guy a bad guy. And I'm thinking, I was a new believer, but I'm thinking, wait a minute. Don't call the guy a bad guy until you find out. Does he need to work 14 hours a day, six days a week? to put food on the table, okay? God's not going to give us heavenly rewards, guys, 
If your wife is starving to death, but you're romancing your wife as she's dying, okay? So, so keep in mind, sometimes things are difficult. Sometimes you've got to spend time away from the family, working and all. But you got the thing is, you've got to lay down your life for your wife. I remember when I worked in law enforcement, I had a, a sergeant who was a heavy drinker. He had very little arms, big belly, but little arms. Um, I knew this guy, he didn't like former Marines. I don't think he liked Christians either. So he was constantly belittling me and ridiculing me in front of the other guys. Me and my wife, we used to have to pray before I'd go to work each day. Now, when the higher-ups found out what was going on, they came down on him. They gave him an ultimatum. They told me, they took me in the office, they said, uh, you know, if we got to choose between him and you, he's gone tomorrow. And so... But, um, but I tell you, if, if I work in the police department, you could sometimes knock a guy out and they don't press charges. You just resign and they agree not to press charges. And then if you don't have a job, you could sleep on a park bench. That would have been a pretty good option for me if I was single. But because I was married, um, it's yes, sir. No, sir. Guys are laughing. Sergeant's calling me names. Um, some of you guys have jobs you don't like. And you're the primary supporter, primary breadwinner of your home. That, you lay down your, your life for your wife. Ladies, this is why you respect your husband and submit to him because he's probably not getting that kind of respect out on the job site. Now, by the way, we have a culture now. We're not as prosperous as we think. And we almost always need two incomes. So the ladies are often working. So guys, cut your bride slack, too. They're probably not getting the respect they need as well. Um, but whatever the case, um, you've got, guys, we've got to lay down. As Jesus laid down his life for the church, we've got to lay down our lives for our wife. Um, and you might say, well, I don't want to do that. Fine, don't get married. You know, and by, by the way, I have counseled a lot of Christian guys who said, I don't like commitment. I don't want all that obligation. I'm not going to get married. Fine, but then you better live like an unmarried Christian male. Don't think you could mess around with ladies and be pleasing to God. And just because you didn't say I do, you have no obligations there. And um, uh, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm convinced, you know, after Jesus taught about one man, one woman, one lifetime, the apostles in Matthew 19 said, you know what? It'd be better for us. It'd be better than not to marry. Jesus didn't even disagree with that. He realized that. And he said, some guys are born eunuchs. They're born with some kind of physical problems where they can't have sexual union with a lady. They're born that way. Jesus said other guys are made eunuchs by men. So you get a king in ancient times, and, um, and he would say, well, I want my guys totally devoted. My, the leaders under me, I want them totally devoted to the mission. I don't want them even thinking about the ladies. And so surgery would be performed. Now, that might have been Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their boss was the, uh, 
the captain of the eunuchs. Okay? Um, so some guys are made eunuchs by men. You know, a king would say, I'm going to put, I trust you so much, I'm putting you in charge of my, my harem. Uh, however, I don't trust anybody enough to give you that position without surgery. Okay? And then Jesus said, and some men make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. He's talking about guys like himself and, um, and John the Baptist. That it's like, my mission is so important that I'm not going to get married. Jesus is like, look, I became a man to die on the cross for the sins of mankind. I can't tell Peter to preach. Can you imagine Peter preaching the Sermon on the Mount? At that point in his life, there wouldn't have been turn the other cheek. It had been take out a sword and cut off somebody's ear. And, um, but, you know, you can't have Jesus saying, look, my, my wife's and the kids got the flu. I can't preach the Sermon on the Mount. Would you pinch hit for me? No, his mission was too important. Okay? But then Jesus says, so some guys make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. No surgery involved. They just decide to be celibate throughout their lives. But then Jesus said, not all men can accept this. See, the way, what I think Jesus is saying is, if you're a single guy, there might be five major problems you face in life. Okay? Any guy who thinks, if I get married, all my problems will go away, it's like, dude, what planet are you on? Okay? And um, um, if you get married, you probably have a hundred major problems. Because now you've got to take care of a whole family. And um, yet, if you're like me, and like most guys, you would rather have a godly woman by your side taking on those hundred problems in the world with a godly woman on your side rather than being a single guy who's only got those five, five problems to worry about, but there's no godly woman there to support him and encourage him. Every, every, every guy wants to feel like a king and feel respected. When you got a godly lady at your side that treats you like a king and respects you, man, it, it just it unleashes God's power in your life to be all that God called you to be. And then it makes you want to treat her like what? Like a queen. And it just goes back and forth. Now getting back to that Christian psychologist, he was acting like, okay, my son's having And so the problem there with that guy was, yeah, you know, his son needed him and all, but what about all the people that needed counseling on that particular day? And then what about the guy who works 14 hours a day, six days a week? Can he afford to just take a day off of work? Psychologists get paid a lot of money. And so don't be quick to judge others, but guys, we've got to try to figure this out. Where is that balance? I work hard because I love my wife, but if I take all the overtime I get just to buy a boat or something, am I neglecting the missus? Am I neglecting the kids? So, um, so whatever the case, it's not always as, uh, as easy as it seems, but 
I think if you love your wife, it's possible to love your wife like Christ loves the church, but not express it in a way that the lady feels loved. And so really try to get to learn uh, your, how your lady thinks. Because you want, you, want you want to not only love her, you want to communicate that uh, to her. And then we're supposed to, like Christ does with the church, cleanse our wife with the word. So that spiritually speaking, she's without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. And I'm telling you, even as a pastor, I think sometimes I fail as the kind of the pastor of my own home. I can go preach to thousands, and then when's the last time I studied a passage with my wife? And... Um, but you're to set your wife apart for God's holy purposes. And then we're to love, or the husband's to love his wife as his own body. Um, you know, when the two become one flesh, it's like for all practical purposes now, the husband and the wife are one body. So you don't love your wife, you're just, you're just disrespecting yourself. And, um, and Paul says no one ever hated his own body. Uh, they, we nourish our bodies. We promote the growth of our bodies. We cherish and appreciate and hold in high esteem uh, our bodies. And uh, we are members of Christ's body, of his flesh and bones. We're one with Christ. And, um, and so we are not, guys, you're not just to be the physical providers for your home. You're to be the spiritual provider as well. Okay? Uh, verse 31 Paul quotes from Genesis 2.24, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The husband and the wife, the husband, they leave their old families and they start a new family, and, um, but it's the man, one man, one woman for one uh, lifetime, and they become one. Verse 32, Paul says, This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, don't be like the Gnostics looking for secret hidden teachings. Whenever the word mystery is used in the New Testament, it's something that was mysterious and unknown in the Old Testament, but is now revealed in the New Testament. So don't go off on some wild uh, research trying to figure out, gee... What is this mystery? The Bible will tell you what the mystery is. Now, you might be able to research and learn a lot about that ministry, that, that mystery, but the Bible will tell you what that mystery is. And here, Paul says a great mystery that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament that a husband and a wife becoming one is a mystery uh, that is symbolic of Christ and the church. And so uh, nothing symbolizes Christ's union with the church more than a godly marriage. Okay? Nothing symbolizes Christ's union with the church more than a godly marriage. Some of us, man, we're just out there preaching God's truth and it just it has no power. Uh, God's word won't return void, but it loses a lot of its power because they look at your marriage. Okay, you want to you want to show people that Jesus loves 
his bride, the church. Well, guys, you better start loving your bride. Okay? Um, if not, your, your words are going to lose so much um, of their power. In the final instruction, verse 33, Nevertheless, let each, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And um, when, when my wife and I got married, we had traditional vows, you know, till death do us part and all that stuff, but we also added that we would be best friends next to Jesus. Um, I didn't want, I'm the kind of guy, you know, I grew up back in Essex County, New Jersey. Most of my buddies were Italians, and we hung out. You know, I loved hanging out with the guys. Then I was in the Marine Corps, loved hanging out with the guys. Then I was in law enforcement, loved hanging out with the guys. What I recognized was, look, my wife has to know that I love her more than I love the guys. And she's going to be my best friend next to Jesus, okay? Um, and so we vowed to be best friends next to Jesus. Uh, husbands, treat your wife like a queen, okay? You treat your wife like a queen, um, she, she's going to end up, it's going to be easier for her to treat her husband uh, like a king, okay? Now, the world, here, here's a good recipe for uh, um, divorce. The world says, look, it's a 50-50 thing. As long as you give 50%, and your wife gives 50%, you'll do fine. Yeah, but guess what happens in the real world? Like a year after I got married, my wife's brother died. Age 27, tragic accident. She, she'd be the first to admit she probably gave zero for like a year after that. Still devastates her to this day, to a certain degree. And um, so what do you do? If, you, if you're only giving 50%, and your spouse is, is hurting, death of a loved one, and they're, only able to, they're, they're not able to give anything, that marriage is doomed to failure. And so what you got to do is you got to go into marriage saying, look, I am going to give 100%. No matter how my spouse treats me, I'm going to give 100%. But you need to find a lady who decides I'm going to give 100% even if he's, even if he's given zero. Okay. Then when one of you is having a bad day, the other one is, is like, all right, it's like I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm, I love her. Or I, if you're a lady, I love him. And you give that 100% and you can get through the difficult trials of life. But forget about this 50-50 deal. Um, no, you go into it. Both spouses need to go into it with every intention of giving 100%. All the time. So if somebody has a bad day, the other one could pick, pick them up. Okay? Um, your marriage is your number one ministry, as I stated. And a godly marriage symbolizes Christ's union uh, with his bride, the church. Wouldn't it be nice if people thought of Trinity Bible Fellowship and they said, you know what? Um, those truly must be followers of Christ. Because look at how much the husbands of that church love their wives and the wives love their husbands. Um, that's our number one ministry, okay? And um, so, yes, we want to be all that God called us to be. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit and for God's glory, be all that God called you to be, but start in your home. Guys, you know, we're not perfect. The church is messed up in a lot of ways, but Jesus still loves us. And we're precious to Jesus. Guys, you got to show your wife. I don't care if you got married 60 years ago. You show your wife that she is precious to you. She's your best friend next to Jesus. And ladies, yeah, I know you didn't marry a perfect guy. Uh, but, um, but treat him good. He's your man. You took his name. He can't be that bad. And, um, but wives, submit to your husbands. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just, we just love you, Lord, and we love that you sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins, to rise from the dead, to conquer death for us. And we trust in him alone for salvation. We long for his return. But we know that when he returns, he's returning for his bride, the church. And um, Lord, help us in our husband-wife relationships in this church and throughout the American church and the church throughout the world. Help us to show the world what the relationship between Christ and his church is like when they look at our uh, marriages. Help us to have uh, a godly home. And Lord, we don't always understand why you say what you say in your word, but we know it is your word, and we know it is truth. And so help us, Lord, to submit to your truth. And uh, help us to, to live, to be pleasing to you, and not pleasing to this world. Jesus told us that if the world hates you, Noah's hated me before it hated you. And um, we love others. We share Jesus with them. May we uh, show them what a godly home is all about. Um, but we understand we're not living to please man. We live to please and to glorify the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For you are good. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.